Hello, everyone. Tyler Swanson here, host of the Bipartisan Podcast and founder of the Bipartisan Post. Before we get started with this episode, I would like to say thank you for your support and for listening to the Bipartisan Podcast every week. We truly, truly appreciate it. We at the Bipartisan Post are committed to providing listeners with quality discussions that provide a unique perspective on divisive issues by showcasing the bipartisan lens. These times are some of the most divided in recent history, and we could use your support in spreading the message of bipartisanship throughout the country. To help us out, you can visit our Patreon, which is linked in the episode description and on the bipartisanpost.com. For just $3 a month, patrons will receive a shout out on the podcast, website, and will be given access to the Bipartisan Post Discord to chat with members of our team and other members of the community. You can donate just once or make it recurring to continue your support. Thanks again and enjoy the show. Lost in the whirlwind of Harvard Academia. This is the Bipartisan Podcast. The Eagle has landed. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Bipartisan Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Swanson. I'm Luke Webster. I'm Nathan Dethoff. And I'm Will Shrefferman. And we have a pretty interesting show today. We're going to start off talking about Judy Shelton not striking gold with her uh, vote to the appointment of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. We're going to move on and discuss the nation that has been divided by the ballot box here in America since November 3rd. And then we're going to move on to a, uh, a interesting discussion about uh, Donald Trump's legacy in the coming years. So we'll start out with uh, Judy Shelton. Um, nomination vote today. Uh, so earlier today, the Senate voted 50 to 47 to block the appointment of nominee Judy Shelton as a member of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. Judy Shelton is an interesting and somewhat outlandish nominee, uh, publicly backing the gold standard and questioning the need for a central bank. She would have served through 2024 if she was confirmed uh, in the vote today. Republicans Mitt Romney and Susan Collins were key to blocking the appointment, and they may have permanently prevented Shelton from taking membership of the Board of Governors. Another vote on Shelton is possible after the Thanksgiving recess, which would allow Republicans Chuck Grassley and Rick Scott to vote. Both are currently at home in quarantine. However, Arizona Republican Martha McSally may be replaced by the newly elected Democrat Mark Kelly, since McSally was appointed to fill uh, her a vacant seat left by John McCain. Uh, Mr. Kelly can take over when the results are certified. I believe that's how it works. Uh, so the move to appoint Shelton comes at a at a time when the Trump administration is continuing to reject election outcomes, and they're making a lot of changes uh, in the White House and in the government itself. So, I mean. The broader question is, what do we think of this candidate for the nomination here? And also, what do we think of the Trump administration, you know, making all these changes in the in the final 60 days of the administration? And Will, since you know a lot about, uh, you know, the Fed and these kinds of things, I'm going to start with you. Yep. I, I think that anybody who's heard me speak about this before knows where I'm going to go with this. Um, but the, the Federal Reserve is able to pursue its mission of maintaining sound monetary policy in the United States by remaining an independent agency that respects a, a diversity of, of, of opinion, but like it is not a political institution in any way. It is designed not to be. It is designed to be evidence-based. It is designed to pursue its dual mandate of, of maximum employment and price stability. That's what it does. I think it was 
um, Paul Volcker, one of the previous Fed chairs that said to anybody who ever works there, politics stop at the door. You know, that that's the nature of the institution. And you've seen institutions that are like that, that Trump has, you know, eroded, politicized, etc. So I think it's kind of reassuring to me that in these dying gas grasps gasps of the Trump presidency, he wasn't able to politicize the Fed. Um, you know, there were there was a letter that circulated of a hundred plus, you know, respected economists, former Fed chairs, Nobel laureates, the stuff, the stuff like that that said, do not nominate this person. Her views on the gold standard, her flip flopping on policy, her idea that the Fed is a rogue agency and should be beholden to the White House are just too dangerous, you know, to have in this institution. And you know, it, it just gives me a little bit of reassurance that institutions are resilient to Trumpism. Um, not totally, but at least they are as the Trump presidency ends. So that's a slightly positive note for me. Yeah, thanks, Will. Uh, Luke and Nathan are resident Republicans. Any any thoughts on this appointment or the, this failure to appoint, I suppose, uh, that occurred today and um, what it means for the Trump administration or what it means to you personally? Well, uh, if I can speak to the just the amount of changes that are going on here in this in these last few months of the uh, Trump administration, you know, I think it's really similar to a pattern that you you can see from any outgoing administration. You know, the thing that springs to mind most for me is uh, the transition between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, of just how many people were appointed. Uh, you know, those famous midnight appointments. I think that you know you're going to see more more. Uh, people changes and more people be replaced um, as Trump tries to, you know, create some kind of status quo um, that'll go on in those agencies after he's out of office. Yeah, it's interesting that you yes. made that connection all the way back there. Uh, Nathan, go ahead. Yeah, and so, and so one of the things, you know, I think Will definitely made a good point on is, you know, how active Shelton had been previously. Um, even as recently as I believe it was uh, Trump's re-election that she was at, or Trump's first election in 2016. Um, and so I, I totally understand that the, the Federal Reserve trying to be independent of the executive um, and not being beholden. And I understand exactly, um, you know, where that that view came from. Um, on the other hand, um, not on the other hand, more like switching notes, um, you know, a nominee that's going to support something like the gold standard um, is really... Um, is probably very divisive as to what we're what we're currently doing um, with the Federal Reserve and you know get rid of the central bank which can you know raise or cut interest rates. I think that it's someone who maybe more opposes the Federal Reserve more than would want to serve on the board of it. Um, and so I, I definitely understand why um, you know Senate GOPers were kind of divided over this and blocked the nominee. Yeah, I think I kind of agree with parts of it all. Of you have said it's really wild to have uh, you know an appointee to the fed who still believes in the gold standard especially in a time where you know we are talking about trillions of dollars in relief for for covid you know the gold standard would definitely not allow for that considering you know all the money has to be tied to actual gold uh it just it's not sound it's it's just a really bizarre appointment that i'm i'm glad republicans were able to block uh you know thanks to Mitt Romney and Susan Collins. Um, and, you know, I, I don't see her coming back. I would I would just like to see, you know, a normal nominee. I don't care if the Trump administration appoints nominee before he leaves, as long as it's somebody not that wild or that crazy. Um, that's just my thought on that. 
yeah, it's, well, it's, so, it's, it's wild time. I wanna, Go ahead. Something I want to mention, I think that every single nominee that the Trump administration puts up in the last 30 days is going to be painted as wild, regardless of whether they are or not. I mean, I definitely understand where, where this particular nominee was politically involved and politically active, but I think even if they put somebody up there, you know, as uh, like, like a re respected economist, I still think they would get blowback um, from most sources just because of the ire that the Trump administration has drawn in the last three years. Yeah, that's fair. And he is also now a, a lame duck president where, you know, it seems like you don't want to be making a lot of changes in the seat that will only be, you know, filled for 60 more days and you have a new, a whole new administration coming in that you haven't really acknowledged yet either. I think is a little interesting. And uh, it's definitely, of course, an orthodox, but I, I would like to see some change here and just some, some stability going into these last two months. Yep. And I mean, just to just to round out Nathan's point, I think, yes, you know, I think your hypothetical is probably right. Um, but at the same time, it is a hypothetical because the people that Trump is nominating, you know, these are not these are not the respected conservatives or Republicans from, you know, the AEI or some of the more institutional circles. You know, these are people that don't believe in a two percent inflation target. These are people that believe in the gold standard. In, in this, in Judy Shelton's case, I mean, these are people, you know, if you want to look at like Richard Grinnell in, in national intelligence, like an inherently political figure that is not respected from those institutions. Um, so, I mean, I, I would welcome more, you know, intellectual conservatives who are intelligent and respected because they exist. They're just not the people Trump has found to fill these posts, especially in the last year. Yeah, I think you all make very good points in this. And uh, I think this flows pretty well into the next topic I want to cover, which is uh, the, the turmoil that's been caused since the election um, two weeks ago, actually to the day now that we're recording this, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday, November 17th. Um, so of course, two weeks ago, the election happened. We knew it was going to be wild with the amount of uh, early votes that were you know, cast. There was 100 million earlier mail-in votes cast. So there was, we knew it was going to take a while to get those results. Uh, at the end of a few days, we were, uh, news sources were able to call the election for Joe Biden after he uh, they called Pennsylvania for him, I believe, uh, which sent him over the 270 mark. Uh, as it stands now, pretty much every state has uh, all, nearly finished completing counting, if not completed counting. And it stands at about 306 votes for, um, for Joe Biden and 232 votes for President Trump with Joe Biden also winning the popular vote by roughly 5 million or so uh, regular votes. So since then, President Trump continues to dispute the results with claims that the election was rigged. There was a massive amount of fraud with mail-in ballots, which there is no evidence to support widespread voter fraud. I wanna make that point. Um, and also as it stands, the uh, president has two months left in office. His legal team has been uh, pursuing efforts to uh, challenge the results of the election. However, they are 1 and 25 in terms of the lawsuits they filed, roughly. Um, he also tonight just filed Chris Krebs, an official in the DHS, who made a statement claiming the election was secure and there was no fraud. So there is a very lockstep requirement in the Trump administration right now that you do not acknowledge that the election was fair and you do not elect, uh, acknowledge that uh, President-elect Joe Biden has won the election. 
Um, then another interesting thing that happened tonight that was uh, not directly related to Donald Trump, but was adjacent, was that the Wayne County Board of Elections in Detroit, which is the county that contains, or not in Detroit, in Michigan, which contains the city of Detroit, uh, failed to certify the county vote totals on a two to two party line vote, um, which is, means the uh, certification of the votes will now go to a broader uh, state organized uh, certification, which I believe is also a evenly divided Republican and Democratic committee. Um, it's worth it, worth to note that Joe Biden won Michigan by 146,000 votes. So there are only so many times you can count and recount ballots. It's been done in many states across the country since November 3rd. The Biden transition team is organizing and they just need to get the resources to be able to have an effective and efficient transition in January. Uh, what do we say to politicians who are openly disputing election results? And what do we say to citizens who feel like they may have been cheated out of a president that they voted for? Um, first thing I want to note, Tyler, um, I think you might have written sure. this outline a couple hours ago, but in, in the hours since those Michigan, those Wayne County Board of Canvassers results, I believe it was just a, a clerical error that resulted in the 2-2 vote. Trump tweeted about it. Um, but in the last couple hours, it's been made abundantly clear that you know there was a unanimous 4-0 vote to certify the results. Oh, um, fantastic. Then my so, mistake. Yep. Thank you very much for clarifying I thought, that. I just thought I would clarify <laughs> that point that had broken, I think, in the in the time since you'd written the outline. Yeah, yes. so, so I'd like to step in and take this. So I think that one of the things, and Republicans and myself included, um, I think I think there are a lot of people who are you know, genuinely struggling with the media's narrative that there was n not any voters, voter fraud at all, that there was not any this or none of that. And I think it's kind of driven people to not, not necessarily conspiracy theories, but it's driven people to, you know, the worst of what they can see. So, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So in 2016, Trump won the election. It was crazy. Everybody was really surprised. And a lot, a lot of folks in the media, Democrats, uh, will we'll just say, you know, focused on the Russia collusion narrative. So you know what I mean? The, uh, you know, there were there were Facebook ads that were that were bought that really influenced influenced the state of the election. And we spent two years doing the Mueller report. The Mueller report found, honestly, eh, not very much. Um, and so now here we are, you know, two weeks offset from the election. And there's a genuine feeling that there was voter fraud simply because the average Joe watching the elections, you know, doesn't knows that the absentees aren't counted until afterwards. So they see Trump winning by a huge margin and then boom, Trump's losing. And so I think to dismiss people who aren't necessarily who are who are who are hesitant of, you know, the election results as, as absolutely crazy. I don't think that's fair. I think that there are lawsuits pending. I, I don't think that any of those lawsuits are really going to pan out. Um, it's too far apart uh, from margins for a recount in Arizona. Um, you're not going to find as many votes as you need in Wisconsin or Michigan. Um, and so I think that this is something that happens every single year. Hillary Clinton did it. Trump's doing it now. Um, you know, Al Gore did it in 2000 to a degree to where, you know, anytime you lose, you want, you know, there's there's been voter fraud. There's been this. There's been that. And to a degree, it's true. There's always some degree of voter fraud. And I think the media is downplaying just about how much it happens. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that there's, you know, ballots slipping away, but I think that there are people who, you know, take advantage and, you know, might mail in an extra absentee ballot if one's sent to them. Um, and I don't think that's enough to overturn the election, but I think for 
for people in the media to, you know, try to gloss over this and try to act like it's nothing whenever it, it, it feels a little bit hypocritical. I mean, it's, it's just like everything we do in politics. Whenever it's your side winning, you're not going to say anything. We talk about it all the time. The Senate uh, to confirm justices, getting rid of the, the 60%. It happens all the time and it's happening now is what I think. Well, I think the difference, I think you're right to an extent, but the difference between now and 2016, you know, with Hillary conceding or with Hillary losing, Hillary conceded, acknowledged she had lost. And then the, you know, the face, the Mueller investigation, the Russia collusion, whatever you want to call it, was not a refusal to accept the election results so much as you know an explanation of a factor and i I think it's an entirely different thing in degree to just not accept election results it would be one thing if trump had conceded and was saying okay i lost but you know oh there was all this going on he has not conceded the election despite the overwhelming indisputable mathematical impossibility of him winning the election so that that's the difference to me and i I mean i guess i was kind of asking you this before the podcast nathan but i mean i I don't think you or luke have any doubts that it'll be joe biden sworn in on january 20th with the lawsuits that are pending the votes that have been counted the recounts that will and won't happen it is mathematically impossible for for circumstances to align i mean correct me if i'm wrong but that that's that's how it's going to be and I guess, yeah, there's a difference between conceding and explaining and refusing to concede, um, which is what Trump has done and is unprecedented. So so are you asking me if I think that Joe Biden won? Yeah. Or Oh, yeah, I mean, I I definitely think so. I think that any way you slice it, it probably can't happen um, for Trump to win. But, I mean, do I think he should should concede? Um, You know, I think it's probably the more... um, it's probably the more proper move or the more, you know, uh, I won't use the word auspicious. I don't think that's correct, but it's, it's, it's definitely probably the right thing to do, the classy thing to do, but I don't think he's going to do that. I think that we've seen that Trump is definitely not that. And I think he's going to fight until the very last minute. If he thinks there's even a margin of chance, he's not going to admit it. And so I think that's why he's not going to, if I was Trump, would I? Yeah, probably. But, uh, given, given the way that, uh, the treatment that he's received and the way he's been viewed for the last four years, I understand why he hasn't. I think you both make good points there, uh, Nathan, in, in your discussion about, you know, why uh, people may you know question these results and will in your point that there really is no way that that Trump can win. I, I think you're both right to an extent, of course, you know, if you lose an election, you'll want to recount and you want to make sure that, you know, the election was legit and that you actually did lose and everything shakes out you know, the way it was supposed to, um, even if it didn't go your way. I think there is definitely a difference uh, with the Trump administration, as there seems to always be. It's, it's almost the signature of the Trump administration to do things unorthodox or to do things a little bit differently um, that, you know, they are challenging to such a heavy degree and to, uh, you know, with such certainty as to even refusing to concede. Uh, you know, it's at, at this point, it, you got to concede. I feel like, you know, you you have lost the election pretty clearly, especially when, you know, the other side has... has 306 electoral votes when they're 5 million votes ahead of you and you can't really, you're pretty much exhausting all of your legal options. There comes a point when you have to take it upon yourself less as a politician and more as an actual leader to, you know, rally your followers and to get them to understand that we lost this time, you know, 
gear up and get ready to go in 2024 with, you know, whoever the candidate may be and just accept that, you know, this person will be the president, didn't go the way we want to, but that's the way it is. That's the way democracy works. Um, it's kind of concerning, you know, to see all these efforts to undermine the election, to see a lot of news uh, sources going against the results of the election. A lot of people who feel like, you know, their vote was thrown out, that they were cheated out of an election because they weren't cheated out of an election. They didn't get the candidate they wanted, but they, you know, they surely voted in a fairly legitimate election. Of course, there's the, you know, the isolated case of voter, voter fraud, but there was no widespread, you know, orchestrated account to do that. Um, so I think what the smart and the responsible thing for the Trump administration to do would be to acknowledge that you lost, to tell your, um, you know, your supporters that you did indeed lose and that, you know, they, they were, they voted and their votes were counted and that just didn't sh uh, shake out the way they wanted, like it did in 2016, then move on and get ready and start, you know, preparing a challenger in 2024. Yeah, Tyler, what news sources are not being accountable in and not reporting that Joe Biden's the winner. I mean, I haven't seen almost any major news outlet that hasn't said that. And I, I haven't mean, seen any platform that hasn't censored people saying the opposite. Yeah, I mean, the only news source that I, I say news source, I guess, lightly. I mean, you look on, um, and I believe it was One American News who went today and said that uh, Trump had 410 electoral votes on a server they found somewhere, you know, in in, in some place. So it's not like we're seeing any major news networks. We are seeing those, you know, those fringe, um, more far right news networks, you know, claim that, you know, Trump is still the winner here when he was not. Um, so I suppose I, I, sh I should have been a bit more clear when I mentioned, you know, that it wasn't the major news network saying this. And, you know, if, if I can jump in here for a second, I think that, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, the process is going to play itself out. And, you know, there are always a lot election lawsuits. And I think at the end of the day, you know, the president is going to be able to see the writing on the wall and he's going to say, all right, you know, and we're going to have a transition of power that's peaceful. I don't think that, you know, we're going to see Trump being like drug out of the White House or him refusing to leave. I think it's just going to be it's just going to take a little bit longer than normal to concede. And quite honestly, it, it makes sense with all of the, with all of the uncertainty and all of the uh, change norms during, during this time of COVID and it's particularly during this election, you know, it does not surprise me in the least bit that we aren't getting a normal uh, concession process either. Yeah. I see that point you're making there, Luke. And uh... Thank you all for your input on this topic. I think it was really great, but for the sake of time, I want to move on to our last uh, topic, which I think is going to be just as interesting. Um, and Nathan, you actually brought this up before we uh, started saying that this was a, a talking point you've heard uh, within some circles of the Republican Party. In uh, 15 years hence, you know, in the future, what will a uh, picture with Trump uh, do to your, you know, political career? Uh, will it help you or hurt you? Will it help or hurt the Republican Party as a whole? Um, what do you guys think? I'll start with her, with Luke or Nathan. Um, I, I can take it first. Um, I think the, I think that it's more likely to help you rather, I think at the end of the day, at least as if you're a Republican, um, I think that while Trump has his various idiosyncrasies, I think that, you know, Republicans are going to be able to look back at the Trump administration policy-wise and feel pretty good about uh, 
you know, what happened. And, you know, it always helps to have a former president of your own party in, in your corner. And I, uh, you know, I would just point to, you know, any politician of like the last, you know, 20, 25 years has probably met a president, a, a past president at one point or another. And I think that, you know, it's more likely to help you, I guess. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm interested to see what Nathan says, because I know I'm not sure I see the argument where there's an immediate backlash of you taking a picture with Donald Trump as if you took a picture, you know, with the KKK or something. I think, I think that that kind of response, if it does happen, is completely unwarranted. Yeah, thanks for that contribution, Luke. I think I, that makes a lot of sense. Nathan, how do you feel? Yeah, so so well, whenever this is posed, it's usually in a, it's in, it's in a sense of just kind of a fun anecdote, you know, just a thought experiment, and, and you know, usually the answer is the safe answer. You know, it really depends on on what his legacy is, whether or not he wins the election or not, which is, you know, I mean, one month ago was a real serious question. Now maybe not as much. Um, but I think it'll. I think he'll be viewed as a, as a thought leader more than, you know, necessarily a president. And that's going to sound weird, but I mean, I th I think it'll be kind of like what Barry Goldwater was to the conservatives in the '60s, or what you know George McGovern was to to '70s Democrats. It's someone who really inspires the base. It's someone who um, has has a figure. And I mean, I'm I'm from I'm from Oklahoma. I'm from a pretty rural area. There are people who drive around with Trump flags and Trump stickers. There's energy for Trump that politicians since Reagan haven't been able to capitalize on. And so I think that Trump's always probably going to be with us. And I think that Trump, yeah, he may be kind of a goofy figure. He may be somebody who, you know, just symbolizes that, um, that, that, you know, American spirit, that fighting. And he, and maybe, yeah, he symbols, symbolizes like conservative justices or whatever his legacy ends up being. You know, I think his legacy is probably going to be the court, the three justices he put on there in his one year term or one term, four year, one, ter one term presidency. And so I, I don't think that a, a picture with a sitting president is going to help you any less than, you know, a picture with Jimmy Carter would hurt you. Um, I, I think it's just one of those things to where, you know, Trump lost. And I think that people are going to acknowledge that. And I think that his populist flair, maybe not all of his rhetoric, but I think, um, you know, kind of kind of the showmanship and kind of the, the, the center-right conservatism populism, I think that's going to be in politics for a long time after Trump's gone. Yeah, I think that's a great point to make, Nathan. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Reagan there too, because I think when when I think of you know Trump and the legacy he's going to leave, it does seem very Reagan-esque in the sense that um, he is you know he has one of those cult followings. You know, he, so many people you know still think he he won, and they're probably going to think he won regardless of you know whether or not who, um, who sits in the White House uh, in in January or February of 2021. Um, I think there'll always be that kind of there'll always be a faction of the party that will you know fight and die for Donald Trump and will hold those beliefs that he has. Uh, I agree that he is uh, pretty much a, a thought leader because I think um, what has been said by a lot of people, and I think I, most of us would agree, is that Trumpism, you know, Trump policies works very well. Trump just does not work as the candidate for those due to his, you know, his personality and the way that he, you know, uh, conducts himself on, you know, a national and global scale. Um, so 
I, I think, yeah, 15 years in the future, a picture with Trump does not hurt you at all. If anything, it's like, you know, taking a picture with, with Reagan, kind of, you know, where people will either say, oh, gross, take a picture with that one guy. Or people will say, oh, wow, you, you know, you have a picture with, you know, a, a leader of our party and, a, you know, a, a somebody who is the, the legacy of, you know, Republican Party and made it what it is today. So, uh, you know, regardless of what you may think of Donald Trump, I personally am not a big fan of him, as you can probably tell from this podcast. Um, he's definitely, you know, it's not somebody who can, whose picture will, will hurt you in 15 years, especially when you just had an election where I think 75 million people voted for him. Like, let's be honest. Will, I'm interested to hear your perspective on this. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of like taking a more history-esque approach. It's kind of an interesting question, Nathan, because you're asking a question in a very kind of like unique timeline that's not current events, nor is it really, you know, history, history. You know, you, you could go back to Andrew Jackson or Andrew Johnson or, you know, any, any number of presidents from 100 plus years ago that, that I think are pretty much universally considered bad now um but in that short time frame i don't really think anybody becomes you know they, they become they can be controversial trump is controversial but i don't think he becomes a universally recognized bad in a 10 to 15 year horizon i i think you're you're right on that front tyler because you know the 70 million people that voted for him will still be around you know a lot of the circumstances uh, political circumstances will remain the same um, so I, I think that's too short a window for that change to happen. But if, if you, you know, 50 to 100 years, I would be more inclined to say that, you know, nobody's going to have a picture with him at that point. But looking back at his legacy will be different then. I just think that these these things move slowly, you know, the historical consciousness, at least. But I don't think it will look kindly on him in the long, long term. I think that's a good point to make. Yeah, I I, I like the way that you kind of frame that as, as a much, you know, longer term thing. Cause I, I do see the, uh, the perspective where he will definitely not be looked kindly upon by history, especially I think as, you know, uh, humanity goes on to, to work with the, the climate crisis and to push on with the healthcare debate and uh, movements on social justice and racism issues. You'll definitely see, uh, I think President Trump cast as the enemy in a lot of those storytellings uh, due to the policies that he advocated for and the events that took place in his administration. Any final thoughts on this topic before we close it out for this week, guys? Alrighty, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> Thank you all very much for listening this week. I hope you all enjoyed. This has been a, another fun discussion and we're going to keep coming back every week with a new exciting episode of the Bipartisan Podcast. If you enjoy, make sure to go on our website, support our Patreon, follow us on social media. We got plenty of news content coming out for you over these next few months. So uh, make sure to keep in touch. Thank you very much and we'll see